Welcome nerds, now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now unsubscribing from Disney Plus. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. On this week's podcast, we're reviewing the latest episode of The Last of Us, along with the horror films Knock at the Cabin and Skimmity Rink. Plus, I'm talking the Nintendo Direct, and we discuss AEW Dynamite. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more Amazing Nerd Show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our Best and Worst of the Week show. Though, if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well. Just dropped for our third tier listeners was our first annual Nerdy Awards where we gave our picks for the best performances of 2022. Catch our first ever award show on Patreon today by following the link in our show notes or simply typing patreon.com slash amazing nerd show. Yes and shout out to third tier subscribers and official producers of the amazing nerd show Paul Tibbs aka a Darth Dad and Jeremy. Darth Dad, sorry for the brief delay, but your nerd swag should be on its way shortly. All right, before we move on, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review, and if you DM us a screenshot, we will not only read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing Nerd Show swag. Also, don't forget to follow us at Amazing Nerd Show. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, so up first this week, we've got some Deadpool 3 rumors. Rumor coming in from the Cosmic Circus claims that Deadpool 3 will be a key feature in setting up the Avengers Kang Dynasty film. Their sources say the film will help explain and further show the MCU's multiverse and what's going down as we enter, you know, the next Avengers event. Now, at this time, there's no confirmation on Disney's side of the story, but it feels like that would, you know, work with everything that has been, you know, speculated and rumored so far, as we did hear that Mobius, as played by Owen Wilson, will be a key figure in the film as Deadpool travels the multiverse. But an additional character we may see in Deadpool 3 is Charles Xavier as played by Sir Patrick Stewart, as he claimed during an interview for Star Trek Picard that he was told to stay on standby for another appearance in the MCU. Now, he didn't necessarily say it was for Deadpool, but it seems the most logical at this time, so I imagine that's where a lot of the you know speculation is coming from. Though I could totally see him you know having a big part in another like on your left moment in secret wars i mean i could honestly see him showing up in you know both films since it is a multiverse tale um Uh you know the question uh in the interview was uh actually talking about logan's appearance in the deadpool uh film so it seemed like i don't know like he was implying that he was on standby for Deadpool 3, um, but I could see where, you know, maybe 
it, it's just in general he's on standby. Uh-huh. Uh, but it does make sense, obviously, since we, I mean, it came out a while ago that, you know, obviously Deadpool 3 is going to be a multiverse tale. So it makes sense that we would see Patrick Stewart there. Um, you know, and it, and honestly, I, the question in the interview was like, do you feel like this hurts kind of like the legacy of the Logan film, I believe? And I'm totally like paraphrasing. Um, and I don't see that being so at all. You know, but since it has to do, it, up. it has to do with the multiverse. So obviously, uh-huh. this is a different like point in time, you know, or a different <sighs> version of these characters, perhaps. So it, it's not a big deal. I'm just super excited to see what Kevin Foggy has up his sleeve. I'm just hoping it's more of the caliber of what we got in uh, No Way Home, um, opposed to Multiverse of Madness. So I just thought, you know, No Way Home did such a fantastic job of handling like the multiverse and you know all those different like Spider Men, um, where I, it just felt to me like Doctor Strange was kind of. I don't know, rushed and kind of like thrown together mm-hmm. without a lot of like care and thought to it. I feel like if he shows up in Deadpool 3, Deadpool's going to kill him just to make that joke that he always dies. <laughs> <laughs> and then another version of him shows up. <laughs> yes. I mean, I really It'll hope like the last moment we get with Patrick Stewart's Professor X is not him getting killed by fucking Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, let him go out a hero on the front lines during, like, Secret War, standing up against Kang and, you know, maybe the Beyonder. Well, moving on to more MCU news, uh, we have a Captain America 4 rumor. It's no surprise that people expect Bucky Barnes to be a part of the next Captain America film, especially after his time with Sam Wilson on Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But now Cosmic Circus has added fuel to the fire as they report a rumor of Sebastian Stan's involvement in the New World Order film. In this report, they claim that the script has actually recently been rewritten to either add or decrease his role in the film. It's kind of unclear how big of a part you know Bucky will have but it's also good to note that he will be a part of the Thunderbolts film which comes out right after Captain America 4 so it only seems fitting to have you know both these films tie into one another yeah we talked about it before I mean it only makes sense that you know both films connect using Bucky um, and you could do a lot of legwork for you know Bucky's story and even kind of like the origin story of the Thunderbolts in Captain America 4 so you know, I mean, it's the Marvel Universe, right? It's all connected. Which actually leads us into our next story, uh, where Kevin Foggy's claiming that we're going to get some more standalone Marvel films in Phase 5 and 6. In the wake of Phase 4's more experimentation and adding new characters to the MCU, Kevin Feige has claimed that while things are still moving towards these big Avengers films, standalone stories in a similar vein to films like Shang-Chi and uh, The Eternals will still be produced. Just as we saw during the Infinity Saga, not every story has to be a big piece of the overarching narrative, which arguably it feels like many Marvel fans have forgotten that these films can just be contained stories but essentially Feige reaffirms that some films will be pushing the multiverse story along while others simply will stand alone and honestly that's just good storytelling because at the same time as you're like you know pushing this overarching narrative it's important that you set up the foundation you know for the next you know coming phases um which will probably be on the backs of these other characters it's just important that you're constantly growing, 
know, this universe. I mean, there's a plethora of just awesome Marvel characters at their disposal um, that they can keep these movies going for years, years, if not decades to come. And just because like a character like perhaps like Blade isn't a big part of, you know, this multiverse storyline doesn't mean that he won't be part of, like, the next big storyline and phases, you know, down the road. And while it's fun, like, eventually seeing all these, you know, characters interact in some, like, shape or form, there's nothing wrong with telling, like, great, you know, solo stories. Um, you know, these characters have existed for, you know, decades now, um, you know, based on those stories. So, I don't know, this just makes sense to me. Not every one of these characters' stories need to be intertwined. I mean, like I said, crossovers are fun, but only when, like, the story dictates it. Like, it should be organic and it should make sense. Well, anyway, moving on, we've got some Disney Plus news. While Disney has seen an 8% increase in earnings this past quarter, it seems that Disney's big streaming platform, Disney Plus, has lost 2.4 million subscribers. This came out of the uh, Disney earning report from this week. Apparently, the subscription loss came between October and December of last year. And in lieu of this news, Bob Iger has promised big changes are on the way for the streaming platform and Disney as a whole that should, you know, lessen their spending and maximize their creative process as far as he claims. So so yeah, I mean, this is an interesting story because uh, in the U.S. and Canada, Disney Plus actually saw gains during that time period uh, where they actually took the biggest hit was in India and the Southeast Asia market. Um, I guess their Disney Plus Hotstar um, service saw a 3.8 million decline. So I have no idea what the hell you know, happened there. But, um, I mean, we heard rumors a while back when Iger, you know, basically took back his job um, that we were going to be seeing kind of like a, a shakeup when it comes to, you know, their philosophy with Disney Plus and mm -hmm. how they handle uh, releases. Um, you know, we heard like on the Marvel side of things that they were going to be really concentrating on, you know, uh, quality over quantity. Uh, which I think we're both totally fine with, and it only makes sense. Uh, you know, for a while there, it felt like they were kind of biting off more than they could chew. Now, of course, that hasn't necessarily been officially, like, confirmed by anyone just yet. Uh, and it, it just feels like Foggy's adding more and more projects <laughs> as uh <-huh>. we speak. <laughs> uh, but that's at least the rumor right now. So we'll see exactly how all this plays out. Feige says we will never stop seeing superhero movies, so he's just going for it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> They're going to have to fucking, like, stop the dude, like, from releasing uh. shit. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Feige's all in on the superhero genre. Like, they're going to have to literally fire the guy, you know, to, to put a stop, you know, <laughs> to his vision. Um, and I'm sure Warner Brothers Discovery will pick him up right away. So uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there was a story that came out um, uh, th just this week that uh, Bob Iger had to save Foggy's job back in like 2015. 
I guess oh. someone, some higher up, wanted to fire Foggy, and I can't imagine why. I was trying oh, to 2015. think. Yeah, twenty fifteen. I was like, after the success of the Avengers, right? Like, I was like, what? They just wanted to bring in like a new visionary or something like that. Huh. And like, why? Why would you do that? Do you not like money, like. <laughs> um, but Iger had to like step in and save Foggy's job, I guess. Which is just crazy to think. Well, moving on to some Marvel-adjacent news, Sony seems to have another Spider-Man spinoff series in the works. After news broke of Sony's deal with Amazon Prime, we learned that there would be a slate of live-action Spider-Man shows coming to the platform. Well, now Variety reports that Spider-Man Noir has been tapped to be one of those shows. While the comic features a 1930s Peter Parker as a detective, this series will apparently feature another person in the detective's mask. Or in Uzel, best known for his work on John Wick 4 and 2021's Mortal Kombat film, is said to be writing and producing alongside Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, who have been working on the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse series. Now listen, I'm actually all for this series, only if they get Nick Cage to play Spider-Man Noir. Um, and it sounds like this is going to be a, a different version of the character, which I mean, they could still do. Um, I'm not sure why they wouldn't just do Peter Parker, Spider-Man Noir, though, uh, since that's already an established character that you've introduced to fans. Yeah, I I'm not sure why. I'm guessing that they're just trying to, like, avoid confusion, especially if they have, like, other Spider-Man, you know, projects or series in the works. But, but like, fans have already been introduced to the concept of, you know, you know the Spider-Verse. So, I don't know. I feel like you're overcomplicating things. And it's like this one's so much different than the regular Spider-Man that I, yeah. I was like, how could anyone mix him up? Exactly. So just have him be fucking Peter Parker, you know, and let Nick Cage play him. God damn it. <laughs> how fun would that be to see like an older like Peter Parker running around played by Nick Cage? Come on. I think you just want more Nick Cage. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so does the world, Christian. That's what we need right now. Some more uh -huh. fucking Nick Cage. We also got a story this week for the upcoming Damon Lindolf Star Wars film, as rumors are pointing at Yaha Abdul-Mateen II to be the film's lead. Industry insider Jeff Snyder, while on the Hot Mike show, claimed that the untitled Star Wars project in the works was looking at black actors for its lead role, and mentioned that Yaha was the current frontrunner for this film. It's said that Lindolf's Star Wars film will take place after Rise of Skywalker, but will be a standalone narrative rather than a true blue sequel. Either way, we're still in early production for a lot of Star Wars projects, but Yaha is definitely a great actor to lead any Star Wars film. Whether he's playing as a bounty hunter or Jedi, we'll soon find out in the future. Well, anyway, on the other side of the fence, we've got an interesting rumor for the upcoming Flash film. There's been some news on the changes made to the ending of The Flash that broke recently when well-known film YouTuber Grace Randolph stated uh, that industry insider Umberto Gonzalez told her of the original plans for cameos, along with a new cut of the ending as well. Again, there's some heavy spoilers here for those who don't want to know anything about The Flash before its release, but apparently... The ending was to feature appearances from Cavill's Superman, Gal's Wonder Woman, and Sasha Cal's um, Supergirl, along with um, Michael Keaton's Batman, who are both set to appear in the film. Now, all of this has already been removed after reshoots. Instead of meeting up with them, Ezra's Flash will run into an undisclosed hero from DC's past. Umberto Gonzalez would go onto social media and you know, confirm all of Grace Randolph's uh, claims. 
Yeah, the exact quote is a character from a long time ago in the DC world. Like, does that mean, like, this current Flash is, like, cinematic universe? Or are they talking about just in the comics in general? Um, because that could be literally anyone. Um, uh-huh. I would assume that it would be someone who has, like, close ties with Flash. Like, could it be, like, Earth 2's Flash, uh, Jake Garrick? Um I don't know. So, I mean, that could be anyone. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that it's going to be a character that we're going to see more of in the new DCU. Um, that would only make sense. But who the hell knows? Could it be like Wally West? Um, mm. I mean, if we're going by like this Flash's DC like cinematic universe, then that doesn't necessarily add up. But if you know, they're talking about, like, just the characters, like, you know, comic book past. I mean, I guess that could be a possibility, especially if they want to introduce a new Flash, you know, and move away from Ezra Miller, um, mm-hmm. you know, for their new universe. I mean, we just recently talked about them possibly introducing a new Flash um, with this film. I kind of assume that it would just be a new version of Barry. But if they just wanted to make, you know, a hard break, they could just introduce Wally. I mean, he's the one who originally took over the mantle of the Flash after uh, Crisis. So um, that totally would work for me. I mean, Wally West is my favorite Flash, so I would be fine with that. You know, this is all probably wishful thinking, but (laughs) but otherwise I have no clue Mm -hmm. who that could be possibly. Um, And it literally it literally could be anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It could be anyway. I mean, they even have characters that they've already shown off like Hawkman and Dr. Fate that we know have existed for centuries if they really wanted to use characters that they already have. But I do imagine it's going to be something, someone brand new. Mm -hmm. And I could totally, James Gunn, I guarantee you, loves Wally West. He seems like he would like that character and want to use that character in the future. So I can totally picture that, especially after seeing the team that's also working with them. You know, we have Tom King who recently played with Wally West as well on the on the group. So, yeah, but I wasn't a real big fan of what he did with Wally. So <laughs> that, was a, crisis, that was a good book. that actually <laughs> makes me nervous now, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to a character we definitely know we're going to be seeing on film in the new DCU. It looks like James Mangold is in talks to direct the Swamp Thing movie. Yes, after last week's news about the DC Slate and Swamp Thing's involvement, we also learned from The Hollywood Reporter that James Mangold of Logan, and more recently Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, is in talks to direct the film, with Mangold himself tweeting out an image of Swamp Thing as well. I mean, this would be a hell of a first hire for Gunn. Um, Why wouldn't you want James Mangold, like, involved in your new universe? So, um... If they can get them, fantastic. Well, last but not least, we got some horror news. It looks like we're going to be getting a I Know What You Did Last Summer requel. According to Deadline, I Know What You Did Last Summer is getting a sequel with stars Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. reprising their roles. Sound to direct is Jennifer Caton Robinson, who recently directed last year's Do Revenge film, along with Leah McKendrick set on to write. Sony's interest in reviving the franchise apparently came after the recent success of Scream's sequels. Oh, God, who wants this? No one wants this. No one wants this. 
I'm glad you agree. I'm I afraid you're going to be like, I love this movie. Why would I? I've talked. I've know. talked about on the podcast not liking this movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, after the success of Scream, was really the start of like Hollywood's horrible like CW slasher phase. Um, where every horror film that came out was basically a copycat of like the Scream formula, mm-hmm. where we get all these like young, you know, good-looking up-and-coming stars cast in these like watered-down, not nearly as clever like nerf horror films. I mean, it's better than most of that crop of films, but still not very good. Like, <laughs> and it definitely doesn't warrant. The requel treatment that Hollywood is like giving all of its like established franchises after the success of Halloween uh, 2018. Uh, so I don't know. Like they they literally just tried to do a I know what you did last summer series, I believe, on Amazon that got canceled literally after a couple weeks. So oh, I, I remember that. I don't know why they would think this was a good idea. I thought Freddie Prince Jr.'s character died. In the the second one, am I wrong? Uh, it, it doesn't matter right now, right? If they do a, a sequel based off the first one, they could do it that style. Yeah, I guess <laughs> if it's a true requel, they could totally just like pretend the second one didn't happen. Uh-huh. Um, didn't the sequel have like Brandy in it or something? Right? The singer? Am I saying her? Yeah, yeah, the the singer. Yeah, I, I believe they I had Brandy in. It. <laughs> Brandy. Don't in remember. It. Um, but yeah, no. That was an even bigger pile of shit. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I hope it ends up being great and, you know, everyone, you know, ends up loving it. But I mean, I didn't like the original that much. So I can't imagine me enjoying a sequel 30 years later. Do you think they'll give it a fun name? Like, I know what you did that summer or maybe. uh... Well, they did that with a sequel already. Like, I still know what you did last summer or something like that. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. Maybe we change up the season. I know what you did last fall, you know? Or I I haven't forgot what you did, you know, last summer. Or or like, hey, you remember that one summer? And now for the nerds review of episode four of The Last of Us. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. What has to stop now, you mean? Now that you're in the cell. But before, people dying was okay. When you were safe and protected and ratting on your neighbors to Fedra. They put a gun to my head. Here. Have I satisfied the necessary conditions for you to talk? For God's sake. So this was another great episode of the series that, you know, just really focused on Joel and Ellie finally bonding. Um, I loved how throughout the episode they really used Ellie's joke book as a way to like demonstrate how she was slowly wearing Joel down and growing on him literally one bad joke at a time. Uh, this episode also like showed us how dangerous this dystopian world has grown with the villain of the week actually not being the clickers. Instead, it was this group of revolutionaries or I, I don't know. I don't know if they're just a militia. I don't know what their deal is, but I mean, regardless, they are like occupying a town that Joel and Ellie find themselves in. I liked how we're kind of just dropped in the middle of their story. Um, And it seems like Joel and Ellie are just kind of like caught in the crossfire because they're seemingly like desperately hunting someone down by any means necessary. Um, 
but we don't really have a clear answer on you know exactly why um all we know is that their leader is pretty fucking terrifying as we witness her like murder her childhood doctor in cold blood um you know before that though like we see joel and ellie get ambushed by this group and Ellie is forced to save Joel here by, like, actually shooting a man in the back. The way this moment played out was pretty dark, but also pretty brilliant. They make sure Ellie has to instantly deal with the weight of what went down as she has to listen to the man, like, plead for help and beg for his life afterwards. And then we see Joel step in, you know, during that moment, and in a way, like, try to protect Ellie by finishing the job like it, it was just I mean really kind of telling of what kind of man he really is um it, it just shows that he by nature is just a protector and you know once again their bond is deepening uh I don't know this was just another fantastic episode and I'm just excited to see where this whole malicious storyline is headed you know this is one of the elements that they're you know adding to the story where they're fleshing out these militia that you kind of run into in the game where you didn't really get anything with like Kathleen's not really a character in the game gotcha. you know it's it, this is a whole brand new thing um and I, I feel like she's an interesting character to get into uh i'm excited to see where it goes from there um i i don't know uh how much further it's going to divert but the next episode looks huge based off of what they showed off um you know with the, like the whole town seeming to be on fire yeah <laughs> um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I think they did a great job of really showing the bonding between the two of them um, in this episode and really seeing her, as you said, you know, break his walls down. Um, and I, I hope to see how things play out with Henry and all that in the next one. Now, Henry and his kid are characters straight out of the video game? Yes, Henry and his actual uh, little brother, Sam, there is uh, in the game. Okay. Do they have big roles in the game? You know, obviously spoilers. Uh Kind of. <laughs> okay. All right. I have to say no more. <laughs> I don't want any details. So um, it's it's just, it's 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 kind of like a, a Walking Dead plot. I would say that. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, I know what you mean by that. So these characters probably aren't going to be around for the entire season. Well, I I mean we're already almost halfway through, and there's still a lot of game to get through. So I'm assuming we're gonna be pushing forward. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's like a Bill situation where they're going to add a lot more like depth and backstory, um, you know, to these characters. Uh, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see till next episode. The one thing I'll say is like, you know, for an episode that didn't feature any, you know, fungus zombies, I didn't miss them at all. Like it, it, I didn't even think about the fact that we didn't see any clickers until a couple days later. So, I mean, for me, that just tells me that I'm truly invested in like these characters now mm. um that it's their story that you know i'm showing up for every week um you know when it comes to the series but you sure know those clickers are coming yes <laughs> yes they are now reviewing horror film skina marink mild spoilers ahead you have been warned and now our feature presentation in this house
besos. So Skibbity Rink is an analog horror film that has been garnering a lot of buzz lately. So much so that it grossed over $2 million in a very limited theatrical release. Which is an incredibly impressive feat when you factor in that the film was only made for 15000 So when I found out that it was already streaming on Shudder, I definitely wanted to check the movie out. And man, what can I say? It you like strange camera angles of ceilings and inaudible whispering, along with the really bloated runtime and some strange cartoons playing in the background? Well, I've got the movie for you. Um, <laughs> Skittering is about two children waking up in the middle of the night to find out that their father is missing and all the windows and doors of their homes have vanished. And honestly, that's about all the story you're going to get out of this film. Uh, to say that Skimmerink is subversive would be an understatement. It, it takes what you know about filmmaking and throws it right out of the window. Um, and while I applaud coloring outside the lines and trying to give us something truly unconventional, at the end of the day, it, it just didn't work for me. And I mean, if you listen to the show, you know I always preach about the importance of mood and atmosphere when it comes to horror. And, you know, Skimming the Rink had that tenfold, but what it didn't have was any kind of resemblance of a story. Um, and listen, I love a slow burn film, but like, for it to be effective, it has to be driven by story, and it has to be attached to characters and events that you care about, that you can invest in, and it has to fucking lead to something. But that just didn't happen here. I just found myself waiting and waiting and waiting and then waiting some more for the other shoe to drop for something to actually happen, and unfortunately it never did. It kind of felt like they were trying to emulate and have you experience a child's nightmare. Like, truly from the perspective of the child, which sounds interesting on paper, but after an hour and a half of it, it, it just felt tedious. There's a couple of, like, effective moments that would play well in a viral clip, but there's not enough that happens in between those moments to make them feel worthwhile. And it's frustrating because I, I do feel like there's a germ of a good idea here. And I could see this film like going on and influencing other filmmakers into experimenting more, which isn't a bad thing. Because I feel like it could actually lead to some like great groundbreaking like art. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I just found myself simply bored. And I was actually struggling to stay awake for a lot of this film. So, while once again I applaud the effort, I'm still going to have to give Skimming a Rink a D. But hey, horror is probably one of the most subjective genres of film. And just because it didn't work for me, it might work for you. So judge for yourself, uh, the movie's currently streaming on Shudder, and leave us a comment and tell us what you think. Now reviewing horror film, Knock at the Cabin. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. 
We're not here to hurt you, but you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. It's really happening. Sweetheart, close your eyes. Will you make a choice? While I've never been the biggest fan of M. Night Shyamalan's work, from time to time he puts out a piece that actually impresses me. And having seen, you know, the recent rise of Batista's acting ability, I came in with some hope here to, you know, actually enjoy this film. But overall, this movie just never really resonated with me or entertained me in the end. In this tale, a couple and their adopted daughter have rented a cabin when some apocalypse fanatics show up and tell them that they were sent here by God to have this family choose if the world is worse saving or not. Um, throughout the movie, the main question is if the apocalypse is actually upon us, and if the decisions that they're making have any effect on the world at large. While one starts to believe, the other is a little bit more skeptical throughout the entire experience, which you know gives you a decent point to switch back and forth on as conversations continue. And honestly, the moments of doubt were probably the strongest points as you see this you know same-sex couple wrestle with the idea that they are ending the world or possibly just getting targeted by religious cultists. In lieu of seeing their relationship, you know, flourish before the events at the cabin, we get kind of flashbacks to moments that kind of show parts of their origin story. Um, these moments are very brief though, and for me didn't, you know, do enough to really make me care all that much about their family unit. Meanwhile, these four home invaders plea for them to save, you know, all of humanity. And like our skeptical character of the film, I saw their pleas as not all that convincing, at least not enough to save humanity or believe what's going on. But at the end of the day, I feel like that was more of a scripting issue because I felt like the performances all had great moments individually when we got to spend time with each character. And honestly, I feel like if we had gotten to know like the family better at the start of the film and had like a better struggle and home invasion element that may endear us to their struggle before, you know, being trapped in these chairs and, you know, being forced to have this conversation. Because overall, they get to this point where they're talking about the apocalypse, you know, within minutes of the film starting. The struggle between the two groups, you know, happens in seconds and it's all over. It doesn't really feel like this family fights as hard as they possibly can especially having a daughter there possibly being in danger. Outside of the story, I was very distracted by the shot selection. Most of the film is close-ups, and when they're not doing close-ups, it's just medium shots instead. You know, always really just hanging in close on each character. I'm assuming this was meant to make me feel uneasy, but the way characters were framed, which most were given a ridiculous amount of headroom, just felt a little bush league, especially for M. Night Shyamalan, who I know can be pretty meticulous with his angles. But again, my assumption is this was, you know, so close up because they wanted it to be intimate as if they were asking the audience what they would do in this situation. Along with that, this movie didn't feel like it deserved the R rating. All death scenes are implied rather than shown, and there's little to no blood. And while that's not a big deal, you know us here at The Amazing Nerd Show kind of like our violence a bit, and them showing off these crude, handmade, you know, apocalypse weapons and not really getting to see them in action was just kind of weak to me. At the end of the day, I do think that there was a cool idea here. Uh, they got the 
the right actors for their roles, but it just wasn't executed in a compelling way that I feel the team probably thought that they were portraying. The actors did have some shining moments in their performances, but this was again another movie I got to the point where I was cheering on the bad outcomes rather than worrying about our main characters. And I definitely don't think that's what they were trying to go for here. So with all that said, my grade for Knock at the Cabin is going to be a solid C. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. Hey you, got bush? Well, you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today, Manscaped. Taking control of your bush is important. These products are so good, you're going to be showing pride in your new bush-free yard. It's a fact that you'll have the best-kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac, so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high oh, and tight. Yeah. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin safe technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So listeners get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at Manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. This week we had some news coming from Nintendo with their February Nintendo Direct featuring some new and returning titles as we push into the later years of the Nintendo Switch. Wasting no time, let's talk the biggest trailer that dropped during the Direct, which was the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom trailer. Even as someone who doesn't use a Switch, this trailer got me hyped for the sequel to Breath of the Wild. With an official release date set for May 12th this year, you will return to Hyrule as everyone's favorite hero Link with the first half of the trailer kind of showing the evil forces rising up once more after being called upon by who I believe could be Ganondorf as we don't actually see a face behind the voice in the trailer. Things switch up when the more hopeful music arrives as we're introduced to some of the new mechanics and rides in the game as we see Link essentially piloting a drone and driving a car across Hyrule, most likely just upgrades from his bike in Breath of the Wild. Again, we see the tainted looking arm and time powers at play 
play, but not much detail on how any of this works just yet has been released. So I guess we'll just have to wait as we get closer to May this year. In the meantime, Metroid fans have been eagerly waiting for, you know, some Prime 4 news, but instead they're getting the opportunity to return to the beginning of it all with Metroid Prime's remake. It just dropped digitally this week on the uh, Nintendo Switch store with physical copies coming on the 22nd of February. Um, this GameCube classic has had a major tune-up here for sure, with some new textures that are better suited for HD, but not really straying away from their original look. The Prime franchise is an all-time great, so I'm happy to see it's getting a new coat of paint for the Switch. But if that's not enough Metroid and Zelda for you, you can now also play classic Game Boy and Game Boy Advance titles on the Switch as well, a part of their, you know, Switch Online subscription. With this release, each game will be able to toggle between three different styles, whether you want to play with the original Game Boy look, or maybe Game Boy Pocket, or Game Boy Color filters, along with multiplayer being available for online services and local play as well. Well, you know, as someone who was a Game Boy and Game Boy Advance kid, this definitely makes me want to go and steal my friend's Switch to play some classics. While currently the Switch is still being sold for near full price, a lot of news sites are pointing out that you know, things might be, you know, winding down for it as a lot of the wording in this was presented kind of felt like they were talking about what has been great so far rather than getting us hyped for what's ahead. This March, I believe, will mark its sixth year being out. And as far as this console goes, I think they went in the right direction after the debacle that the Wii U was. This console, I think, has been Nintendo's best since the GameCube. And if they are working on a new system, I hope it really is only just an improvement on what they've already made here. I wouldn't mind if it was just a Nintendo Switch 2 rather than an entirely new system. But again, I'm not an avid Nintendo player. So if you are, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the future of Nintendo systems. You can hit us up at Amazing Nerd Show on social media. But beyond gaming news, I wanted to announce that I will be taking a short break from streaming for the next two weeks. As I said on my uh, Twitter at Amazing Nerd Live for all the streaming side of stuff, um, I've had some stuff come up in my personal life right now that needs more of my attention. In no shape or form am I done streaming, but I feel like it would be a disservice to you guys if I forced myself to stream for what I'd call a darker period in my life. Um, if things get better, of course, I'll hop on sooner, but for now, I just need a moment away from streaming. So I do apologize for being MIA. Uh, when I come back, of course, we will continue my playthroughs in Horizon, Dead Space, Hi-Fi Rush, and we'll be starting up Atomic Heart on Game Pass. And you can also catch um, everything that we've done so far in the games that I just mentioned on our VODs right now. Thank you to all those who have actually followed us on Twitch and have been supporting our live stream journey. Um, but enough of all that, let's move on to some wrestling. Alright Christian, it is that time again. Let's go ahead and talk some AEW Dynamite. Um, this show for me was the definition of a mixed bag, my friend. Uh, <laughs> while we had some great in-ring action, we had some questionable storylines happening outside of that ring. Um, some definite like head-scratching moments, uh, you know, at least for me. 
So, but uh, let's go ahead and start with the first match, which I did not really get to watch because I was having issues with Hulu. Uh, so, uh, Christian, what yeah, was sure. that first match? It was MJF defeating Takeshita in an eliminator match for the AEW World Championship. Um, during this match, they're in El Paso, so they put on a bunch of, you know, little Eddie spots here and there. Mm. But Takeshita overall was, you know, looking pretty good. Uh, I think MJF's the right type of foil for, you know, a character like Takeshita. Um, oh, just a white meat baby face? Exactly. <laughs> um, and overall, but I feel like MJF was telling more of a story of how he's going to be going up against Brian throughout the match because the entire time was him attacking the arm of Takeshita. You know, he was just constantly doing arm spots left and right. So it was really like MJF proving his like medal against Takeshita, yes. who's, you know, obviously an up and coming, you know, superstar. Um you know, and really just kind of like flexing and showing that he is capable of beating someone the caliber of Brian. Because, I mean, I, I, I got like the very tail end of the match mm -hmm. where, you know, I thought it was smart, like seeing him like actually visually like actually tap out someone. Um, you know, so I thought that was great. And then, of course, he's just the dastardly villain who, you know can't just leave it alone at that and, you know, bust him wide open and Brian has to come out and make the big save and everything. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, a lot of people were, I don't know, just hoping that, you know, uh, MJF would lose this match for some reason. Uh, I think people are just trying to, you know, I think people are just getting impatient with the whole, like, Takeshita storyline and, after so many like huge upset like victories recently like on you know both sides of the fence i think a lot of people were kind of expecting like oh maybe we'll get another upset victory and this will really jump start like to just push but for me like i, I didn't want to see that happen whatsoever no. like yes i want to see Takesha get a huge push and you know mm -hmm. get into that main event picture eventually but i feel like it needs to be more organic than that and i don't think it should be at the detriment of mgf right now especially when he has such a big match coming up against you know brian i mean we're still in the very early stages of mgf's title reign so for him to suffer a big loss especially when we don't see him wrestle hardly ever yeah. i don't know that could you know be earth shattering um you know for you know this reign um so i i, I was totally fine with the way they went, you know, with the storyline right now. Well, knowing wrestling fans, the faster he rises, it's going to be the quicker they, you know, resent him and go against his exactly. character. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Tony has been taking his time with him and, you know, it's been, it's been basically a story of him showing that he can hang with everyone, but he never has gotten that like big win. Like, I think last week was the first time that he actually got a win on dynamite against cage. So, like, I think after he got that when everyone was just, like, ready for them to just, you uh -huh. know, strap the rocket to him. And it's okay. Like, be patient, people. Like, we don't need to, you know, push him and, you know, completely sacrifice MGF's run <laughs> as champ at the same time. Not that MGF couldn't recover from it, but I don't think it would do him any favors storyline-wise. Nah. Uh -huh. No, Takesha so. still got to go through QT Marshall a couple times. Oh, God, you know, no. Before he gets an actual please, push. <laughs> please, please don't. <laughs> I don't want to see QT on my TV for uh -huh. at least another year. 
Twitter. So I'm <laughs> QT'd out at this point. Um, after this, we had a video package from Samoa Joe all about regaining his TNT title. Um, you know, he praised Darby Allen's efforts and then would let us know that Wardlow isn't really, you know, deserving of another match with him. Yeah. And then we didn't hear anything from Wardlow, which nope. apparently Wardlow just can't work like two dynamites in a row for some reason. Um, I was really disappointed by this because he, he got a huge pop with his return the audience seemed to be really into it. And then once again, there's this lack of follow-up uh, that just seems to always be haunting, like, Wardlow for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, let the guy build some momentum. This is where you have him cut that fiery baby face, like, promo, you know, basically giving his mission statement, talking about how he's going to, you know, get revenge on Samoa Joe. Um, and that didn't happen here. Out of sight, out of mind, you know, especially when you have such a stacked roster like AEW. So I don't know. I, I, I don't understand like this, like stop and go with Wardlow. I'm going to guess that he's going to get a match next week against the jobber to do his big spots. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was a case of which it shouldn't matter because he could have just done a video package. But I don't know if it was a case of they just overbook this show, you know, with too many matches because I. I feel like this, yeah, would have been the week to do that, where he addresses it in some form or fashion. Yeah, and this was a stack show. They actually, mm-hmm. what was the title they gave it? It actually had a subtitle this this week. It was, it was like cha- something championship night, night of night. champions or something. Oh no, no that's right. right. No <laughs> championship fight night or something like that. Yes. Okay, yes. Whatever. Okay. Sure, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think another, I don't know, fear I have. Right now, with this program with Wardlow and Samoa Joe, especially after Joe had such a great like program with Darby, is that fans are really going to start turning on Wardlow, mm-hmm. you know, and really because I mean Joe has just looked like a fucking monster badass. <laughs> so I don't know, and he's he's so charismatic. Um, I, I I just I just I'm just worried that this could all backfire, and you know just you know turning into a nightmare you know for wardlow as a character because like who doesn't love samoa joe you know and who Mm. doesn't want to see joe kill someone especially after having the performances that he's been having lately so they need to be careful and just walk that fine line well another big problem is is i feel like wardlow is going to win this feud he's going to get the title back and then they're not going to do anything with him they're they're going to he's going to just disappear once again it just like Darby has shown you, like, how easy it is to get that title back on track. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's basically a TV title. And the back in the day, the TV title was defended every week on TV. It's the Workers' Championship. Um, and that's what it should be. So when you have a wrestler like Wardlow come along and I don't know what the strategy was or the philosophy was, you know, with the character, if they were worried about like overexposing him, but when you have come along and, you know, have this title reign where he's barely on screen and barely defending the belt, it hurts the title and it hurts the character because it's like, well, wait, we've seen all these other wrestlers defend this title and be fighting champions week after week. Why is it Wardlow mm-hmm. doing the same? 
Um, so I don't know. It's confusing. Um, but hopefully they rectify that and we actually see like, you know, Wardlow become that fighting champion that like, you know, wrestlers like Darby or Cody, um, and Hero. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, up next, we had the AEW Women's Championship Eliminator match between Jamie Hayter and The Bunny, with Jamie Hayter getting a quick victory after what seemed like an injury happened for The Bunny. Yeah, I'd like to first of all highlight the fact that this actually took place extremely early on the card for a women's match, mm. right? Uh, I like that Tony's, you know, shaking up the formula a little. Um, I'm sure, like, with how behind the fans are, with Jamie Hayter, like, he's realizing that she's actually a draw. I don't know if that translates, like, ratings-wise, but, I mean, every crowd that she performs in front of, like, she is over. Um, it's unfortunate. It definitely felt like an injury took place and they had to rush to the finish. Um, I can't imagine, like, being injured and then having to take the fucking ripcord from Hater. Uh, uh, like, it's like, could we not choose a different finish there or just pin her? Like, it, it would have been fine. softly, at least. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think Hater softly is different than other people softly. <laughs> so, um, it looked pretty stiff to me, but it is what it is. I'm sure Bunny called it, too. Um, you know, and she's tough. So, but yeah, it's unfortunate because I, I was I was happy to see Bunny actually get like a little spotlight and everything like mm-hmm. that. I feel like sh- they've been kind of stop and go with her. And I know she's been injured off and on this past year, but like she had such a great like fucking street fight uh, on Rampage almost a year ago um, yeah. that it felt like, you know, they just kind of lost the opportunity to capitalize, you know, on that moment, you know, for her. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it's unfortunate. But uh yeah, right after this we got a promo backstage that was also quite unfortunate. Uh yeah, Tony Storm and Soraya were getting interviewed by Renee, and when they called over Leva Bates, it was obvious what they were about to do. Uh Renee got out of the way and they attacked her with a couple hits and spray painted her. Yes. Um this came off really cheesy and mm-hmm. quite lame. Um, it seems like their new gimmick is spray painting people a la like NWO, um, but not as cool. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, the librarian is definitely not great at selling. That didn't help the situation at all. Um, and I don't know, man, like there's so much potential with this storyline, but with what we've gotten, like with you know, the last two weeks have just been kind of disappointing. And it's kind of like feeling a little flat right now. I believe it was last Dynamite that they jumped Brit, right? Backstage? Mm-hmm. All right. And then was it on Rampage that we saw Ruby come up to the uh, to uh, Brit and check on her? Uh, I'm not sure. I did not watch Rampage. Okay. <laughs> well, at some point on one of the shows, Ruby comes uh-huh. backstage and checks on Britt, but then Britt says, you know, those are your girls. So they're kind of like, you know, it seems like there's a war for, you know, Ruby's soul going on to be overdramatic. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it, it, we're, it seems like the next chapter of this is like, you know, what side will Ruby choose? But yeah, on this Dynamite, that that story wasn't really like progressed at all. So, uh, which I was kind of surprised about. 
Yeah, I was almost expecting uh, Tony and Soraya to actually just come out and attack the two of them while they were going up the ramp. But yes, I was kind of expecting something like that to happen. Also, I'm mm-hmm. wondering if like that injury threw everything off, um, and, or maybe I'm just making excuses for them. <laughs> but uh, we do know that Ruby actually has a match on Rampage, so hopefully more of that story actually like develops this week. Because it definitely feels like we're kind of like treading water for no reason whatsoever. Well, speaking of developing stories, we had a moment with MJF in the back. Um, deciding to tell us about how he got into a car wreck with his uh, girlfriend at the time uh, to show that he's twisted because he he put her in his seat. Yes, she was, was unconscious, <laughs> apparently injured. Her skull uh-huh. smashed against the windshield, according to him. Um, luckily, she was still breathing, though. So mm-hmm. because I guess he had prior like speeding tickets or something like that, and he was one strike away from losing his license um, before the police could arrive, he went ahead and put his unconscious girlfriend's body in uh, the driver's seat so he wouldn't get in trouble to show what a scumbag he was. Uh, he also mentioned that uh, she went down on him while he was driving. I don't know why that, you know, needed to be part of the story. It was a necessary detail, Damon. A a lot of fans were outraged because the girl's name was Liv. So they felt like he was trying to imply something or alluding something uh, because he has a friendship with like Liv Morgan. But I think he was just trying to get underneath her skin. So Uh fucking relax, people. Um, The story was fine. I understand what he was going for, but at the same time, I don't think it really added much to the program, (laughs) you know, with Brian. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I thought the match was fine. Like they could have just rested with the match and, you know, what we saw later on uh, with, you know, Brian's match against Roosh because he came on to commentary for that. So I don't think we really needed this segment. Um, You know, I mean, it was delivered great. And I love the visual of like, MJF sitting there with, you know, Takesh's blood on his hands. I thought that was fantastic. But the story was just kind of, I don't know. It almost felt like he was trying too hard. Yeah, it just didn't feel like it pertained to their feud at all. Yeah. So I was very lost <laughs> while yeah, we were doing this. It felt this. like he was trying to be outrageous to be outrageous, uh-huh. right? Up next, we had the Garcia Guevara gauntlet where Ricky Starks defeated Angelo Parker and then Matt Menard in rapid succession before having to go up against Daniel Garcia. Yes, and they uh, teased at first that it could actually be Sammy that he could be going up against. Um, you know, fucking Garcia's wearing those stupid pleather pants uh-huh. that you could just tell he's incredibly uncomfortable in. Um, <laughs> so he's in the middle match with Garcia. The match is going fine. Things end up on the outside of the ring. But then a mysterious masked fan ends up delivering a Judas effect to Ricky. On the outside, uh, which ends up costing the match as Garcia, you know, throws him back into the ring and pins him. Um, now, I I won't lie, like, in the middle of this gauntlet, um, after he quickly, you know, did away with 2.0, I was like, man, I really don't want to see Starks beat fucking Garcia and Guevara all in the same mm-hmm. night. Like, what good does that do their characters? Um, 
you know, and I'm all for this push that Ricky's getting right now, but like it doesn't have to be to the detriment of, you know, two other young wrestlers who, you know, desperately need the spotlight. So I don't know. I just was kind of sour on this whole like match setup from the get go. I mean, obviously, part of it's because I mean, it's so similar to the main event storyline that we're getting currently mm-hmm. where, you know, Brian has to go through a gauntlet of, you know, different wrestlers to get to MJF. I mean, I guess what the one saving grace is at least, you know, Ricky is doing it in one night. Um, so like I, all that to say is I, I wasn't upset that Ricky lost the gauntlet. Um, I'm more upset that this program is going to continue because I don't know, <laughs> storyline wise, I feel like it just doesn't make much sense to me right now. Um, like, I don't understand why Ricky wants to face Jericho so badly. He already won a match against him. I mean, I know that, you know, him and Andretti lost the tag match to JAS and all, but like, even in that match, Ricky shined and he wasn't the one who, you know, got pinned mm-hmm. and like hit with a baseball bat. It was Andrade. So like it feels like an- or Andretti, whatever the hell his name. It feels like Andretti should be the one <laughs> who wants to get to Jericho here, not Ricky. Um, like if they did something where they like beat down Ricky afterwards and like really like destroyed him in the middle of the ring then I could understand why Ricky would desperately want to be seeking vengeance against Jericho. But that didn't happen. So I feel like it feels like there's a missing piece to this puzzle, right? Like they're, they're missing like a chapter to this book. Um, so like, I, I, I know the reason why he didn't win this gauntlet is because they need to stall to the fucking pay-per-view. Cause that's probably where this Jericho Starks match is going to take place. Was just like, oh god damn, this is a fucking month away. <laughs> mm. uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, it ends at the pay-per-view. But like at this point, I don't know if I'm just I've just I'm just traumatized after like the last couple of like Jericho's feuds that went extraordinarily long. Um but I just I don't know, I just don't want to see it. Like I want Ricky to move on to something else. So hopefully this is like a case of, you know, Ricky gets a big win on pay-per-view against Jericho and then he can move on. Um because like otherwise, like I, I don't think I could handle another like six month long Jericho <laughs> feud. Because that's what we've been but getting. You just might you might get it. That's the problem. <sighs> but I this is the first time that it doesn't makes sense their blood feud doesn't doesn't it just doesn't have that you know element to it yet it feels a little lazy right yeah like they haven't done the work to get me to believe in this feud or to believe that starks would want to face jericho again like i really expected him to come out after the challenge was made by jas and say like why the fuck do I want to face you again? I already beat uh-huh. you. Like, fuck you and your gauntlet. Um, but that didn't happen. So I don't know. I don't know. This this has all been a little disappointing, you know? Um, so hopefully it's over quickly and, you know, both him and Jericho can move on to something else. I, I'm guessing that they're laying the groundwork for, you know, an eventual feud with Garcia here. 
that 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 feels like what's happening on like the Jericho side of things, mm-hmm. where Garcia will get fed up with Guevara, they'll have a match, and then Jericho will turn on Garcia or vice versa, and then we'll finally get to see that feud. Like I feel like that's probably the end game for Jericho. Um, but Starks, I don't know. Like I hope that you yeah. know he eventually gets some kind of title reign. Um, you know, even if it's like the uh, the All Atlantic or you know, or even the TNT, I guess. Um, so you know, hopefully, you know, Starks gets something out of this feud though, um, because it started pretty white hot and now it's just kind of like faltering after this we had a backstage moment uh where daddy ass essentially said that he's not going to be out there with caster and bowens for their match and while they were upset by this they still got in one more scissor before we moved on to our next segment yeah so of course when a wrestler says they're not going to be at ringside you know that they're going to end up at ringside if not in the middle of the fucking ring. (laughs) (laughs) Causing some sort of hijinks. Um, You know, when this whole angle started last week, I think a lot of people were like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to see a a daddy ass turn here. This is where that's all going. Mm -hmm. But as we'll talk about later on, that wasn't the case. For now, we had more shenanigans as while Brian was checking in with Takeshita in the back um, and Renee was there talking about their injuries and what's going to happen with MJF, it seems that Roosh and MJF boarded up their door or at least locked it uh, to stop him from being able to come out to the ring. You hear Roosh's music go off and we all can kind of know where things were going from there. So you're telling me that Tony Khan, who's sitting in front of a bunch of monitors... Uh-huh. And witnessing this all go down would have allowed, you know, Brian Danielson to be counted out of this match and, you know, forfeit the match and his opportunity to face MJF at the pay-per-view all because he got locked in his dressing room. That's what I'm supposed to believe. <laughs> it's not too far to imagine. Like, I could see him just being upset at Gorilla, and, but not doing anything. And, and here's the thing. Well, yeah, I guess that is kind of his rep right now. Might be a little too passive. <laughs> at least it wasn't like during a press conference. Um, uh-huh. But here's the thing with this whole, you know, storyline before the match. It. It didn't add anything to the fucking match. No. It didn't come into play during the match whatsoever. Um, Like, when he broke down the door using his shoulder, I was like, oh, did he just injure his shoulder further? So, like, is that going to be a big part of the match? But, like, Mm. the announcers didn't bring up, like, oh, my God, he used his shoulder to break down the door. He seems to be more injured. Like, that was never brought up. It never – he didn't sell it that way at all, like, coming down the ring. Um, So I was like, what the fuck was the point of this? Like, it didn't really come into play whatsoever during the match. So I I guess it was just supposed to be another wrinkle to the story. Um I don't know. Like I like I'll say like I thought this match was a fucking banger. I enjoyed the shit out of the oh, match. Yes. Um Roosh is one of the most believable fucking wrestlers in the company <laughs> because it it it, it kind of seems like he might not know that wrestling's fake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone's like, you know, giving him the Iggy and like, "Hey, Roosh, you know, we're not really fighting here." Um cuz he's just punching people. Like <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I'm loving every second of it, but my god, 
Because, um, like, at first, I, I think I've said this before, there's something about him that reminds me of Sabu. Um, and that might sound mm. weird, but Sabu always felt a little off-kilter and, like, dangerous. And that's how Roosh feels to me, um, where he's just a fucking wild man out there. He's, like, the most believable luchador that they have in that company. Like, I don't think he's necessarily, like, the most talented, but there's, like, a grit to him where you believe everything that he's doing. And that's not knocking the luchador style, but it's never really been, like, you know, my cup of tea. But, like, I believe everything Roosh is doing uh, out there. Um, so I love, like, just the fact that this felt like a down and dirty fight, um, yes. you know, between two guys. So I, I thought this was a hell of a match. I mean, I think it's got my favorite shot of the year where Brian gets yes. tossed to the outside oh. and the blood splatter right on the camera. Oh, and that blood. Beautiful. They kept like, cutting back to that camera and uh -huh. they didn't wipe the blood off. <laughs> I'm wondering if the director was like, don't wipe the blood off the lens, whatever the fuck you do. That was so perfect. And you know that's got to be gift already, right? Like they, because uh -huh. it was like, oh my God, they couldn't plan that shot any better. <laughs> I mean, the suplex onto the, you know, concrete was brutal enough, but to have the blood come up and spray. Yes. Oh, my God. Perfect. <laughs> um, um, how, how did you feel about the camera work overall or at least um, some of their shot choices this week? It, it always feels to me that they're down a camera for some reason. Uh -huh. Like they don't shoot, I believe, the like left side of the ring well. Um, like they're always out of position for some reason. I know like part of it is just kind of like the TV style that they've like, you know, come up with for, you know, the organization, if you will. It's very new Japan where they don't have the wrestlers working the hard camp. So mm -hmm. that might be part of it, but I don't know, like recently it, it feels like more of an issue where they're kind of like missing things um so yeah like i just wish they could have like another cameraman out there and i i don't know if they just they don't want the cameraman on screen where you have like a shot of the cameraman. it does feel filming. like they're trying to hide them a lot yeah and i don't need that like if this is supposed to be a sport like when you're watching football when you're watching other sports like you see the camera sometimes mm. it's okay you know i can accept that like it doesn't take me out of the match if i see the cameraman so it's it's a weird choice i don't get it and i'm just kind of like reading into like that might be the issue but i'm not sure but it does feel like I, the camera work has, has been a little more shaky of late. I mean, it led to some cool moments this week when they're cutting to those side cameras and you're getting like the shot like we just talked about. Also, there was this random moment in the women's match where the camera was trying to like capture what was going on with uh, Brit and then swooped over to the ring. And for some reason, they didn't switch. So it looked like the camera was like doing this crazy sweep oh, really? into the ring. And I thought that looked really cool. But, but at the same time, it it doesn't capture the whole match the way that it probably should, you know, while they're doing this. But then you get a moment like last week also where you actually get Moxley clearly on camera, like blading himself. So yeah. I, I don't know. Like It just feels like one of those production things that AEW just has not found like the right formula 
mm-hmm. for, you know, um, along with their fucking sound, which just it feels like every other week you have a wrestler spiking a microphone because it's not working um, and totally like derailing a, a promo. Um, and this is after they had um, what's his name come in. And, you know, the WWE, the former WWE guy yeah. was supposed to be like the heir apparent to uh, Kevin Dunn. <laughs> uh, I mean, at this point, like I haven't really noticed any like serious differences, you know, besides like, you know, the obvious like stage design and everything um, to like production. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Um Either way, this match uh, ends with Brian getting the win, um, and then MJF decides to come in and immediately starts attacking the arm, of course. Uh, refs, I mean, uh, yeah, refs try to come in, um, and security tries to come isn't, in and break it up. Isn't Brian part of a fucking faction? Yeah. Of, like, killers? Like, yeah. <laughs> did I miss something? Did they break up? Like, what what's happening here? They haven't mentioned it. The only person that's been at his side is Takeshita, and I don't really understand why. It seems really bizarre, and I don't know if they feel like if Blackpool Combat Club gets, like, involved, then, like, it's almost a case of MGF being outnumbered. Um, It's weird. Like, this is, you know, my issue when you have baby faces with factions. Um they almost become less sympathetic because Mm -hmm. or either they become less sympathetic or you have to do a lot of like work around storytelling wise because like if you have a faction they should have your back so if you're getting jumped by someone they should be coming out and helping you and i know they want to get like heat for mjf so i don't know it leaves a big like like plot hole you know, for me as like a fan, like where was the Blackpool combat club here? We know that they have a match on rampage, so they're there, you know? (laughs) So I just, I don't know. Like, like I'm one of those guys who needs to see like the faction getting locked in the locker room, you know, be, you know, if one of their members is getting jumped by another gang, um, like, I need that story point to be explained to me. Because otherwise, like, what the fuck is the point of your faction? You know, are you telling me that Brian has no friends whatsoever? Like, I understand why Takeshita wasn't out there because he got jumped in the melee when they got locked in and he was already yeah. injured. But yeah, come on. I mean, you already got story connections with Wheeler. That would have been like an easy, just like extra match that they could do before the pay per view if they wanted to do them again. Um, you got Claudio, who I don't think has fought MJF yet. Maybe they want to save that. Yeah, I don't or know. even if it's just a case of them running in to scare MJF away. Yeah, it's a brief moment, and you're still keeping the you know the whole story of the Blackpool Combat Club at least in the background of the story, just to remind people that you know, oh yeah, Brian is part of this you know this faction, especially if that's you know going to lead to something down the line. Um, so I don't know. It's a little weird, you know, it almost feels like lazy storytelling when you don't kind of like, you know, dot those eyes and cross those T's. Up next, we had a backstage moment where Tony Schiavone, Schiavone, you know, you're right. Schiavone, Schiavone. Okay. I always fuck up his name Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, he's backstage with the impractical jokers, Brian Quinn and Murr. 
Uh, Quinn and Murr apparently uh, have Chris Jericho on the show with them. Um, and they decide to play a prank on him by taking the bat, in which he will answer on their already pre-recorded show uh, <laughs> <laughs> next week when the show airs, I guess. Sure. I mean, it's good that Warner Brothers is, you know, giving AEW some more homework and using them to help promote their shows, because obviously they that means they value, you know, them as a TV mm. product. So that's all I got out of this segment. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and after that, we had the trios titles match between the elite and, of course, uh, AR Fox with Top Flight. Uh, Top Flight got extremely, extremely close to getting the win here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty intense match overall. Yeah, I mean, this is the party match that you kind of expected from these guys. Just a, mm-hmm. a total like nonstop breakneck pace. Um, tons of fucking incredible spots. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end, like, I was on pins and needles. Like, they had me totally believing that Top Flight could possibly walk away with, with the trio's titles. Like, Kenny, like, kicked out by a fucking hair uh, during uh, AR Fox's reversal of the one-winged angel. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I, I thought this was a hell of a match, and this is what I want out of the trio's division. I just, I, I hope that they do a better job kind of like building up the division um like it doesn't seem like anyone else has many trios matches outside of like the actual champions like actually wrestling for the belts so i'd like to see more like trios matches that don't involve the elite on you know dynamite and rampage um let us know who those like trios contenders are like, I thought um, the House of Black was going to be doing that, like doing like a run through all of the, you know, uh, other trios teams out there before they finally got to meet up with the elite. But uh, I, I mean, I haven't been seeing that. Happen. No. And they're stuck in a weird storyline with Kingston right now. That seems like it's only taking place on Rampage. Um, I don't know. That storyline's really not doing much for me. Like, we're supposed to believe that Eddie wants to join them now. Um Sure, like obviously we we know that's not going to be the case. Eddie's mm. not going goth on us. Like that'd be horrible. Oh I would my hate to God. see that. Eddie with the eyeliner, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> listening to Pesh mode. No, I don't need to see that whatsoever. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, it, it's not a great storyline. Um, and I was wondering, like, if part of the reason why that storyline even happened was because they were stalling. You know, uh to get to like you know the elite verse um house of black but it doesn't that doesn't seem to be the case now that you know the elite has moved on from the the best of seven series so Mm -hmm. i don't know man like it feels like you know house of black is getting lost in the shuffle again and you know along with kingston and i i just don't understand why um they I, I know they announced uh, for Rampage this week we're going to actually see a trios match involving uh, the Blackpool Combat Club. So maybe they're headed in that direction. You know, maybe they're going to be the next next uh, contenders for the Elite. Uh, that'd be a hell of a match. I wouldn't be upset about that. Again, it plays into whatever they're going to probably do with uh, Hangman, uh, Hangman yeah. as well. So Yeah, it makes sense, right? So, I mean, maybe that's like the next pay-per-view match. 
Um, after that match, we had a backstage moment uh, where Stokely Hathaway was, you know, talking a bunch of shit about Hook. Um, and of course, Hook showed up behind him, put him in an arm bar and told him to be cautious of his words, which I had to rewind because I couldn't understand what he said the first time. Yeah, it's, it felt like he was doing like a, a, a Christian Bale, like Batman voice or something. Uh-huh. It was weird. <laughs> I was like, I can tell that's not your real voice, man. Like, <laughs> but whatever. Um, this was fine. I didn't like that they cut away from the trios match so quickly. You yeah. know, to go into like the little like hook video package. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, it felt like they were rushing for some reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I don't know. Like, Hook is already he's already faced off against um Lee Moriarty, so I don't know where they're going with hook next like i mean i guess he could be going against big bill like maybe there's unfinished you know business there um that that should be a a site right (laughs) exactly (laughs) uh but yeah yeah i don't know this this is fine stokely's great on the mic you know he's he's a hell of a character so but yeah i could definitely see big bill versus hook for revolution uh, if that's why, if that's what they want to do, yeah. Honestly, I feel like Bill should win that match. Establish him as a monster. You kind of like rid yourself the problem of you know Hook being undefeated, because um, he can't be undefeated forever. Yeah. So, and then that can like lead to like a bigger feud where you know Hook eventually ends up winning you know the program. So yeah. and you know redemption. Yes, exactly. So I, I I would be fine with that. Well, up next, we had a battle between two young teams for the AEW Tag Team titles between the Guns and the Acclaimed, with the Guns officially becoming your brand new AEW Tag Team Champions. Um, Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'm guessing this was done because... They need a transitional champion in between the acclaimed and FTR. And, you know, they don't want to have a baby face versus baby face situation between the two teams, Um, you know, where FTR would, you know, end up beating, you know, the acclaimed for those belts. Um, Because I'm guessing that they're scared that they'll be going against the grain and, you know, fans could, you know, turn on FTR perhaps since they claim is like so over but Mm. man i just feel like the guns just aren't ready for this you know i mean you look at the caliber of teams that we've had that have held that title and it's definitely a case of like one of these things aren't like the others right (laughs) like and and, you know it's kind of the same with the acclaim not to badmouth the acclaim but like their tag team is much more of an act. They're fine, like in ring wise. Like Bowens really does the brunt of the work, um, but they're more about their overall charisma and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Where those tag belts, you know, have been held by some of the greatest tag teams, like ever. <laughs> But like with the acclaimed, it was it was forgivable because like you know they can hang with these like top echelon tag teams if they need to. They can rise to the occasion, but at the same time, I don't think they're necessarily good enough 
to carry another team. And I feel like that was evident here tonight because uh, this match wasn't very good. And like all of their matches with, you know, the guns have not been that great. Yeah. Um, I mean, the best performance here was from the ref taking that bump. Yo, that was probably <laughs> one of the best bumps of the fucking night. By uh-huh. far the best ref bump I've ever fucking seen. Like, that was amazing. And then, the, like, on top of it, like, the, the fucking cell job that the dude did afterwards was like, oh, shit, is he really hurt? Like, <laughs> they're trying to get him in the ring and shit. Uh-huh. Like, my God, this guy, like, I hope he gets a bonus out of this. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's going to be their bumping ref for now on. Like, you know, uh-huh. if he's in the match, he's taking a dive. Um, but, yeah, like this, I know this match wasn't that great. Um, I, I don't know why they felt they had to swerve us. Obviously, they're trying to set up this whole idea that Billy could be possibly turning on the acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they even have the big moment where Billy comes out during the bump. Um, and it looks like, you know, he's standing Bowen up to, you know, get attacked by, um, you know, one of his dumbass sons uh, with the title. Um, and then, you know, that doesn't happen. Um, so it's like, okay. So, you know, you kind of feel safe, like, oh, all right, well, maybe the claim is just going to win and they're going to move on. Um, But no, that's not the case. We still had some Gaga happen and, you know, Bowens ends up getting hit, you know, with the title during a roll up and then he eats a pin Um, and it completely deflates the audience. Uh I mean, they were smart for putting this match on last. I feel bad for the people who are wrestling on rampage because that audience might've just like walked home at that point (laughs) because the look on people's faces were like, I'm not saying they're like on par with, you know, the look of like, you know, the WrestleMania crowd when undertaker like lost his streak, but they're pretty fucking shocked. Like their jaws Mm -hmm. were all on the ground. Um, but yeah, no, um, I just, I just don't think the guns are ready is the issue and they haven't done enough to build them up. Um, It'd be different if we've been seeing them like night after night having like these great matches or, you know, watching them, you know, get wins on TV. But like besides that FTR match like a month ago, like have we seen them on TV, like actually wrestling? The guns? Not on Dynamite, at least. And I don't think we've seen oh. him on Rampage. So, I mean, oh, like, yeah. it, in my, and maybe this is just old school thinking on my part, but like, if you have a team that's getting ready to win a title, I feel like they need to be featured on TV, you know, building them up um, to make them feel like they're worthy contenders. Uh, and that wasn't the case whatsoever. Like, I feel like even like any number one contender, like Mm. I want to see them being built up. So I, you know, so they feel like a viable contender for those titles, you know, for that title, like, you know, a singles or tag um, for that matter. So it just it it feels like, you know, lazy booking. Like, I know they got a big victory against FTR and that's great. But like that wasn't enough for me to believe that they were worthy of, you know, being, you know, tag champions. So 
I don't know. And I get it. Like, this is probably not a big deal. This is probably going to be a transitional situation. I have a feeling that FTR will be back, you know, within the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get like a three-way between, you know, the acclaimed, the guns and FTR, or if like a, the acclaimed are, you know, going to get a match against the guns. And then maybe that's when Billy turns on them. And then, you know, we move on to the guns versus FTR, but feels like the writing's on the wall that, you know, FTR is probably going to be coming back and seeking vengeance and, you know, winning those belts from the guns. Mm. So, I mean, it's it's probably going to be a situation where the acclaimed kind of blame Billy for the whole match in general because he kind of forced it upon them anyway. And then that's when Billy decides to turn on them in the next match that they have. Oh, okay. You so know? you think there's going to be a little more to the drama. It's not going to be so one-dimensional. And we're going to actually mm-hmm. see the acclaim kind of push Billy away. And that's when he decides to side with his dipshit sons. Okay. I could I could go with that. I think that's probably the better storyline, right? Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. It, it depends on whether or not they're like also done with, you know, Billy being with the acclaimed at this point i feel like it's run its course honestly i feel like the acclaimed will stand on their own just fine you know they don't need to say scissor me daddy ass it's okay they can figure something else out they can um, just say scissor and, me yes and I, honestly like <laughs> the acclaimers like they're so over right now i don't even know if they really even need the title so i don't think this is like you know doom and gloom for the acclaim i think they're gonna mm-hmm. be fine you know i just i feel like the guns you know, being the tag champs just kind of like downgrades the tag division a little. Um, and I know that's a little harsh because I feel like the guns do have the potential to be a great tag team down the line. I just don't feel like they're ready yet. Um, but if it's just a transitional situation, it is what it is. But that's going to complete uh, today's AEW talk. Yeah. All in all, a solid show uh, with a lot of great wrestling and some questionable storylines. But, you know. I'm more of an in-ring guy, so I'm willing to deal with some kind of iffy, you know, angles uh, as long as we're getting, like, you know, awesome matches in between. And that's kind of what the show was this week. I mean, if anything, I learned to don't be in a car with MJF. <laughs> yeah. I guess it depends on your taste, Christian. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. He's just out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for?